0: Welcome to the Grove Community Church Sermon Podcast. We're a faith community seeking to change lives, change our community, and change the world. And now to this week's message. We hope you enjoyed it. It wasn't long ago that I used to make fun of Laura with her glasses. The same glasses that she's wearing on her head right now. Those are readers. Anybody else in here graduated to the readers class? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. We all have something in common, and I'm not going to say what that is. <laughs> but readers. And I would make fun of Laura. like She's like, I can't read it. I've got to have my glasses. And I would, I would say, <laughs> I can read this. Uh, then I turned 50. It didn't all happen at once, but I'm 50, and I started playing the trombone with things, right? Trying to read the packages now, and I've noticed that it's a good thing I have long arms, but, but I've gotten to where even that doesn't help now. And so within just the last couple of months, I had to break down, and yes, I have a pair of readers now, I haven't gotten fancy. I don't have the clips. You know that, that thing going on? The, have you seen these? Anybody? Yeah, these are brilliant. It's just I can't, I can't commit to that. I cannot commit to the ones that kind of are one piece that go around your neck and then they snap together with a magnet. It's brilliant. You won't ever lose them, you know, and you can always you know, do this number and put them off and on. I haven't gotten that bad yet. I only use it if I'm reading really tiny things. But here's what I did find when I started using them. That I didn't realize just how bad it was and how many words. I just knew what the word was, but I wasn't seeing it clearly. I don't know if that makes sense to you or not. If you have graduated to readers, you know that process. You know that there's a point where things are fuzzy, but you're like, yeah, I can still read it. I mean, it's not clear, but I can still read it. I can make out what it is. So I didn't realize how long I was living in that realm until I put on the readers and I'm like, oh, wow. This is light years better. It is clear now. I think that's a metaphor for our life sometimes that as we move along in our journey of faith we get comfortable with where we are and although we still understand and can see and can read it's not as clear as it could be things begin to get a little fuzzy and that plays itself out on our relationship with God And he wants to give us a clear, clean perspective. He wants to put those readers on us so that we can see things in a new light, in a new way. That's what I take away from the story we're going to look at today with David. It's yet another story of David and Saul and Saul pursuing David. It's actually the last episode where David and Saul are together. This is it. This is the final point Saul has been pursuing David to kill him. David's been hiding from Saul in the wilderness. Saul took David's wife, who was also his daughter, and stole his daughter, slash David's wife, and gave her to someone else. And David now is living in caves with 300 to 600 sweaty, nasty, stanky men in the desert. Doesn't have his home, doesn't have his inheritance, can't go and visit family, He's lost everything, and Saul, still sitting in his palace, still ruling as king, is pursuing him with a vengeance. This is the last episode, though, and if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Samuel 26, and it's really the whole chapter. We're not going to read the whole chapter, but we're going to look at highlights from it. So in the beginning of this chapter, what we see is, we see this group of people who have already turned David in once, come back again. And they say to Saul, hey, we know where David is, why don't you come down here and take care of him? And so Saul takes 3,000 men, chooses 3,000 men and we're to understand that these are kind of like the special forces. These are really good fighters. These are the best crop of warriors that are at the uh, disposal of the king. And so he grabs those guys and he pursues David David sends out spies to learn about where Saul is encamped and what's going on. Verse five. Then David arose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay, and with Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of his army. Saul was lying within the encampment while the army was encamped around him. So Abner was his, his lead general. Abner was his bodyguard. He was his closest protector at this point. Abner was was, uh, the next in line on the military side. He was the top military brass. And he was right next to Saul to protect him. And they're in the encampment. And then the 3,000 men encamped around Saul so that if there was an attack, Saul would be at the very center and they would have to fight through 3,000 men to get to Saul. That's the picture here. So David goes down and sees this. So then David said to Ahimelech, verse 6, and the Hittite, and to Joab's brother Abishai, the son of Zerai. Now, this person is a female, Zerai. It's actually a really hard thing to pronounce in Hebrew, so I'm not even going to try. It's a diphthong that we don't even use in English, um, so it's, very, it's extremely hard to pronounce. But she is David's sister. So Abishai is David's nephew. So here he is with two of his men that are closest to him, and he asks them, who will go down with me into, camp, into the camp to Saul? That's a death wish, right? We're going to go down into Saul's camp, just two of us. And Abishai, his nephew, said, I will go down with you. So David and Abishai <clears throat> went to the army by night, and there lay Saul sleeping within the encampment with his spear stuck in the ground at his head, and Abnar and the army lay around him. So do y'all remember this spear? Do y'all remember anything about this spear? He's thrown it at David a few times, right? Two episodes where he at least throws it, to him, throws it at him twice, but we think three times each. So David's very familiar with this spear, but it also comes to play in some of Saul's early conquests. This spear, this spear is a symbol of power, really, and authority for Saul the king. And it's stuck in the ground by his head. It's his protection there. So if he were to arise at night and there was a commotion going on, the first thing he would grab is his spear and and he'd go to work. And apparently he was good with the spear. Not great, but good enough. I mean, if he was great, he would have killed David at least one of the six times he threw the spear at him. But close. So it's in the ground at his head. Then Abishai said to David, verse 8, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now, please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of that spear, and I will not strike him twice. (laughs) I love that confidence. Now, here's what's interesting about this. In the last episode that David had the opportunity to kill Saul, who would have had to kill him? Who was the one that had the knife in his hand? David, right? So David sneaks up on him, he's taking a poop in the cave, he cuts off, oh, the kids are in here, sorry. He cuts off the, he cuts off the edge of his, of his robe, and he holds it up, and he says, see, I could have killed you. It was David who would have done the killing, not this time. This time, David's nephew, David's nephew says, let me do it. I'll kill him. And what poetic justice to kill him with his own spear. That same spear that he's hurled at you, that same spear that he refused to use against Goliath because he was scared, that same spear that shows his authority and power, let me use that spear to crush it. How tempting would that be? Let me do your dirty work. How tempting would that be? I mean, be honest. I'm going to tell you, I'd be like 100%. Oh, that would be awesome. Let's make that happen. That would be my first inclination. Is anybody else like that? Or am I just the only one? Like, I'm like, let's end this problem. We can take care of it. And you can do it. I don't have to get blood on my hands, and I can just sit back and go, oh, well. But that's not what David did. But David says to Abishai, verse 9, Do not destroy him, for who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, as the Lord Yahweh lives, the Lord Yahweh will strike him, or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. Now, where did he learn this lesson from? Where did David learn this lesson? Look, as surely as the Lord lives, the Lord's going to take care of this joker. Where did he learn that? from last week's episode with Nabal, right? David wants to go. He's like, come on, boys, put on your swords. We're going to go have us a a massacre. And Abigail shows up and says, hold up, my husband's an idiot. He's a fool. Literally, that's what his name means. He's an idiot slash fool. That's what Nabal means. His name is real with who he is, but please don't go kill him. Here's this stuff. And I promise you, if God will take care of it, David, just Don't do anything foolish. David learned his lesson because what happened 10 days later? He dropped dead. Just bam, dropped dead. So David just learned this lesson. That if I let God be God and I let God do his thing, he's going to take care of business. He's going to be okay and I'm going to be okay. And so David has rightly learned this lesson and he tells his nephew, look, don't do this because you will be guilty because he is the Lord's anointed. Even though we don't like him, even though he's pursuing us, even though he's in the wrong, he is still the Lord's anointed. God still hasn't removed him from being king and God has not permitted me to kill him yet. And God will uh, will not permit me to kill him because he is anointed by God. It's this weird thing going on here, right? Because David has been told, You're going to be king. David has received the power of the Spirit, and the Spirit has left Saul already. But in this episode, he's saying, He's still God's man. Let God handle that, not me. Verse 11. The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed, but take now the spear that is at his head and the jar of water and let us go. And so David took the spear and the jar of water from Saul's head and they went away. No man saw it or knew it, nor did any awake, for they were all asleep because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon them. When I read this, when when you're reading this, you're like, come on, he walked through 3,000 men, like just snuck up, is he that good? Snuck up to the king, and Abner was right next to him, this loyal friend, this guy that sworn to protect him, his chief bodyguard slash general of his army. This is their version of Goliath, it doesn't get any better than Abner. And you're just going to sneak right up on the king? That doesn't make sense. So the explanation comes here in this aside. Because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon them. They didn't wake. So this is a conundrum to me. You have the, the means. You have the opportunity. And God has made it possible This is where it gets a little blurry, right? It's not real clear. I mean, if you're just reading the situation, it looks like God fully intended for him to kill Saul. Am I the only one that sees this here? Am I the only one that's that depraved that that's where my mind goes? I mean, I look at it and I'm like uh, okay, you give me the means, you give me the opportunity, you give me the motivation, you, you help me sneak through all these guys, they are out cold like they're on I don't know what, and here I am, this has to be your will, Lord. I mean, I would want it to be your will, Lord, please look at all of this, this can't be a coincidence. And that's where it gets Blurry. But David sees through a different set of glasses, and that set of glasses is the clarity of what God has called him to be and do. That set of glasses takes out the blur and helps him see clearly what is right and what is wrong. Even though the opportunity is there, it doesn't mean it's right. I say this all the time to people just because it works, it works. Just because something works doesn't mean it's the right thing, doesn't mean that it's prudent. Just because something gets the result that you want doesn't mean that it's right, that it's prudent. David understands that here and he sees it clearly, but the glasses that he's putting on clearly in this whole section is the theological glasses that help him see. God clearly. He sees his world through the lens of God's love and grace and God's character. Ultimately, the rule is you don't kill the anointed of God. Period. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're justified or not. You don't do that. And he knows that and he feels it to his soul and so he will not do it even though things get a little bit blurry. Even though he has the right to do it. Even though he can do it and has the opportunity, he chooses not to. Guys, how many times in life when there's this kind of gray blurry area do we choose what's prudent or what works? Even if it's not exactly what's right. All too often, I think, in life, we kind of go through, weave through this life, not with the glasses on, but just kind of the blurriness of the truth of God. We get just enough to kind of understand it, but we don't really bring it into focus. But David does. David has all of this opportunity, and he doesn't take it. David has the, the means, the opportunity Almost the blessing of God here, but he refuses because he knows that the Lord has anointed Saul and it's not his job, it's God's job. So was this a test? Was it a test of David's strength, of David's clarity? Verse 13, then David went over to the other side and stood far off on the top of a hill with a great space between them. Smart (laughs) man, because there's 3,000 of them and only two of David and his nephew. And David called to the army and to Abner, not to Saul, but to Abner, the son of Nar, saying, will you not answer, Abner? Then Abner answered, who are you who calls to the king? He didn't call the king, he called Abner. And David said to Abner, are you not a man? Who is like you in all of Israel? Why then have you not kept watch over your lord the king? For one of the people came to destroy the king your lord. This thing that you have done is not good. As surely as Yahweh lives, you deserve to die because you have not kept watch over your lord, the lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is in the jar of water that was at his head. So he's standing off at a distance on a hill, and he's like, Abner, look what I got. (laughs) And you let this happen, and you should be killed for it because it's your one job. You had one job. You had one job, and you blew it. And you deserve death because you didn't take your job serious. And David sees this even in a theological perspective. Your job is to protect the anointed of the Lord. God gave you the ability and the position to protect his anointed, and you failed. You're the one that deserves to die. You didn't take it serious. So yet again, in the middle of this episode, David takes a step back and sees it clearly through theological lenses, and he says, look, God gave me the opportunity, but I didn't do it because he's the Lord's anointed, and I respect that. But you, Abner, who are sleeping next to him, didn't respect him enough to keep watch over him. You deserve desire. It's on your head. Because you didn't take the Lord's anointing serious. Because you didn't take God's call in your life serious. He's calling out Abner. Not just because he's smarter or stronger, not just because at one time he's going to be the king and Abner's not. He's calling out Abner because he sees through a theological lens that you didn't take God's call in your life serious. Abner doesn't answer. Saul recognized David's voice. And he says, is this your voice of my son David? It is my voice, my Lord and King. And he said, why does my Lord pursue this after his servant? For what have I done? What evil is on my hands? Now, therefore, let my Lord, the King, hear the words of his servant. The Lord Yahweh, who has stirred you up against me, uh, no, I'm sorry, if it is the Lord Yahweh who has stirred you up against me, may he accept an offering. But if it is from men, may they be cursed before the Lord. For they have driven me out of this day that I should have no share in the heritage of Yahweh, saying, Go serve other gods. Now therefore, let not my blood fall on the earth away from the presence of Yahweh. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a single flea like one who hunts a partridge in the mountains. Now I know there's kind of a weird A weird um, speech, I guess, we would call it, from David. But there's a couple of points that I think are important. He continues to frame it from the lens of what God wants. And he says, here's what you've done. Here's what you've done, Saul. You're anointed to be God's man for this country. But here's what you've done. You've cut me off. You've cut me off from my people and from the land. You've cut me off from my inheritance and from worshiping my God. Because when you're living in caves in the hill and fighting for your life and fearing for your life, you can't worship God, not the way they had prescribed it in his time. He felt disconnected. I think this is why we have so many psalms written from this time. Did you know that a lot of the psalms were written at this time while David was in the desert running from Saul? I think it's because he's processing this distance that he feels from God he's been cut off from the worship of God in the temple he can't go to the temple to worship now it wasn't the temple temple yet it was a temple that was kind of a makeshift temple but he still couldn't go and worship in the temple like he had before he didn't feel connected to God like he did before and he's saying it's your fault Saul you're cutting me off from the people and from worshiping my God So yet again, we see that David is looking at this thing through the lens of theology, that he sees his call, his, his life, his movements, his worship, everything through this lens of, I want to serve God, but not Saul. Then Saul said, oh, I have sinned. Return my son David, for I will, do, uh, uh, I will no more do you harm, because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Behold, I have acted foolishly, and I have made a great mistake. He doesn't mention God. He doesn't say, oh, I've, I've done this thing, and it's against God that I've done this. He doesn't say anything about God in all of his response. Abner doesn't. Saul doesn't. No one in this scene... They're all looking at this from their human perspective. And the only reason why Saul relents here is because he knows he's been bested. He doesn't say, I've sinned against God, Yahweh. I don't deserve to be king. I don't deserve to be his anointed. He doesn't mention the Lord. He has become so wrapped up in himself. He's gotten so... molded by his culture that he forgets the very one who created him and put him in the place that he is. He's lost touch with God. And so what did we learn from this scene, this last scene between David and Saul? We learned that David, despite all the opportunity to do otherwise, chose to see things through God's eyes, not his own. He chose God's will his own. He worried and suffered, not because he was away from his family per se, but because he felt distant from God as he struggled. He longed to hear God's voice and to be in his presence and to lead his people as God wanted them led, but he couldn't. That's what we see from David. What we see from Abner and Saul is someone in Abner who doesn't take his calling rightly. He doesn't see it as God's gift. He doesn't really respond to it the way that he should. He kind of takes for granted what God has done for him. That's what Abner does. And Saul? Saul continues to reap the benefits of what God has blessed him with. He continues to relish and bask in the glow of all that God has given him, but he's lost all all sight of connection with God. He's not even on his lips. He makes decisions not based on his theology and his relationship with God. He makes decisions based on himself and on what the world is doing. I think this is a lesson for us. And the lesson is, It's time to put on the readers. To put on the right lens. To view our world through the eyes of God. To view our life and his gifts with a bent towards theology. Who God is and what he's done. That's what David did. And it's time to quit living in the blur of Abner and Saul. Saul. And I can admit to you that all too often my life is the blur because I've refused to pick up the readers, to see things clearly, to take a step back and say, God, what is it that you see? What is it that you want? We hope you found this week's message meaningful and impactful. And as always, don't just hear it, but put it into practice. Until next time, have a good one.